Welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefy, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facility side of our business. Simon Gale has a job that's just so big, I had to ask him several times how he does it all, and with such a plum. Simon is the director of racket sports at the USDA National Campus in Lake Nona, Florida. Hi, and welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Shanafee, your host, and each week it's a pleasure to bring you the news and the views from the country club, fitness, and tennis industries. And Simon, well, he's at the top of our industry. He started way back when at Reading Country Club in Fairfield County, Connecticut, and now finds himself facing a post-COVID state of affairs at the USTA National Campus, which boasts nearly 100 tennis courts. But that's just the start. The campus is now adding pickleball and padel to the facility, and Simon has embraced this move and philosophizes over where those two racket sports may take tennis in the future. Simon takes us through how he hires new department heads, and rather than asking how good their teaching skills are, he asks, can you manage a team? Can you build a team? And how good are your people management skills? These to him are more important and underrated in our industry. Perhaps, he says, that the pathway for a director through teaching is just too simple, and he wonders if we in the industry should realize that and perhaps look to change that. Simon hates the word lesson. No other sport uses that term really other than golf, and why must we always learn inside a lesson? But before I bring Simon on the air, I'd like to remind our listeners that all that we do at Beyond the Baselines can be found at our website, beyondthebaselines.com. From consulting with clubs to managing your full sports program, our team of advisors, administrators, and consultants are here for you to make your facility just best in class. Please drop us an email at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or give us a call in the office here in Marion, Mass. at 508-538-1288 and let us start the discussion with you. But now, direct from the USDA National Campus in Lake Nona, Florida, where there are four head pros and an event management team that rivals any corporate public relations team. Here's Simon. Hey folks, welcome to Beyond the Baselines podcast and YouTube show. On the line today, I have Simon Gale. He's director of rackets at the USDA National Campus, Lake Nona, just outside Orlando. Really honored to have you here. Simon, thanks for being with us. Hey, it's a pleasure, Ed. I appreciate you uh, asking me to be part of the program. And, um, you know, I know my brother talked to you not that long ago, so it's uh, fun to be part of it and looking forward to, to the conversation. Yeah, si- uh, Simon, it's great to have you on. Chris and I knew each other from up there in uh, Massachusetts, and I noticed in your resume you built your career in the Fairfield County area. Take us back to, like, your job at Reading Country Club, because I'm from that area and it's a beautiful club. How'd you get that job? Where, how'd you start with that job? Yeah, it's an interesting story. I mean, I, I came over in the early 90s. I was working up in the Northeast at uh, Windridge Tennis Camps and the Bridges Resort uh, all around that Sugarbush Mountain area in Vermont. And it took me about seven years to find a sponsor um, to stay in the country. So, um, Eventually, I ended up with with uh, like the Fairfield County clubs that Jeff Gokey managed down in that area. Uh, there was five, six clubs down there. So I was working in Darien, Connecticut mm-hmm. um, at the indoor club there, Kings Highway. And we ended up, um, after a couple of seasons there, an opportunity came up at Reading Country Club. 
and uh, you know I got that director's job and was there for a few years. Um, but it was uh, you know in Reading, Connecticut, which I had no idea where that was at the time. And uh, <laughs> back in the backwoods there, Fairfield County. Yeah, it's fairly isolated, but what a little gem of a place it was. You know, really great membership. Um, you know, obviously heavily into golf and tennis was a was part of the kind of service culture there it was a it was a program for the members but it was a you know predominantly a golf club but the tennis was pretty healthy and uh yeah I spent three or four years there before moving into the commercial indoor facility so I know a lot of your your, your listeners or people you, you talk to are in the country club business so I can definitely relate to that um, experience and the summer grind that goes with being a country club director so um yeah it was a it was a great part of my career but uh i haven't ventured back that way ever since uh well me in a different direction it's a good it's a you know reading is a is a great club and it's it probably gave you a great foothold i i know Windridge tennis camps uh, was at ted hone up there and uh correct up there in the new england area and and he and his his son is also a director has been a director and um i think he probably gave you a great base and then reading probably gave you a real customer service side of uh, things kind of a base there because it's a, it's a demanding membership nice but demanding I'm sure yeah I, I think I've been lucky with with the way my careers evolved you know Windridge was an amazing place but you had two or three hundred campers a week and you had to manage 25 pros and and, and a huge program um, and a lot of pros who let's face it were were cheap labor at, at a camp who were there for an experience as much as tennis. And you had to learn to work with pros who maybe weren't as qualified as you or the rest of some of your staff. So you learned how to manage large groups and, 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 and you know, have a program evolve through the course of a whole summer, which was different than having kids come once a week. So that really helped me a lot. Reading definitely, uh, you know, that service mentality and customer service and, why we're here it's not about tennis it's about the membership experience and right. you know we're in an industry that tends to be all about me as a pro and <laughs> this this needs to be all about the members and without them you don't have a job so it's a it's an interesting dynamic all the little experiences that go into you know getting you to this point in your career but reading was a really important part of that going from reading i mean great little country club you know niche area up there in Fairfield and, and now you're in Orlando one of the fastest growing cities in America Lake Nona the national campus you you, you run uh the entire facility there basically and and, and we had a pre-call just to go through some of the things that you know I wanted to touch on but what I didn't quite understand is all that you do there at the at the center um take us through maybe just like a day because I think you have over a hundred courts, you know, hard and uh, hard true. Uh, you've got youth courts, you've got, um, you know, you've got the player development, which is not quite under your purview, but I was, and I'm in the industry. I was a little confused as to what you do and mm -hmm. how that fits in with the, all that goes on at the campus. So just take us through basically a day, your four divisions that you look over in your, in your pro pro staff. It's an interesting dynamic because you know, the campus isn't a tennis club, uh, but in some ways it is. You know, you've got, you've got um, 
a lot of crossover between, you know, we have regular programming. We have an events team who deliver over 200 events per year from NCAAs to, you know, uh, Bobby Curtis to regional championships. And, you know, every weekend there's potentially two to three events that are utilizing the court. So it's a tremendous facility for hosting events of that size. And, and it's an experience for people from all over the country to come and play tennis uh, at, at, at this home of American tennis. So there's an experience factor there for um, the tennis player or the com competitive player. Uh, but at the same time, we're very much a local community you know, programming option. And, and our model is, is about 60% community-based programming and 40% travel. Obviously, during COVID, we basically lost 100% of that travel business. So um, you, you're kind of a tennis resort and destination experience, as well as a community-based program, which I think is very unique. I, I, I can't name another facility that's, that's similar to that. Maybe there's some similar, but then we're hosting 200-plus events per year. So you've got a dynamic that's kind of unique. It was part of the appeal for me was when you walk in every day, there's a buzz, a tennis buzz that I don't think you can replicate anywhere just because of the size of the place and the amount of tennis players that come through. But, um, you know, it presents challenges as well. So the sharing of courts and management of, of, of what you would say is, well, you've got 100 courts, you know, you could do whatever you want. It's not always the case during prime time and Friday afternoon through Sundays you know, we're struggling to have enough court time to share all the things that happen. So that's an interesting dynamic. But, you know, we've got about 35 to 40 pros um, that swells a little bit in the summer to 40, 45 staff uh, with our summer kind of interns or seasonal help. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of PTM students who come through in the summer. So we try and uh, manage, manage a program for them to get an experience at the campus. But our, um, you know, our dynamic is interesting in that you know, we have probably 1,500 plus people come through per week for, for regular programming and 250,000 people a year who come through the facility annually. So it's a busy place, which means our structure becomes very important. And I've got four head pros who thank goodness for you know, the way this was set up and how I inherited a system that was well built by, by Kathy Woods, who was there before me, to have four head pros who are very dedicated and, and good at what they do. So I have a family zone or 10 and under head pro, a youth development, which is our 11 to 17 year olds, a high performance uh, head pro, and then a, an adult programming head pro. So the four of them basically are mini directors of, of tennis for a specific area, but when you look at what they manage, you know, you're managing 10, 15 pros within that space and 350, 400 customers in those spaces. That's effectively what your typical director would be managing at a normal facility. So the kind of directors of tennis of a space that uh, is very important part of our business and they're, they're excellent at it. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic just because of the size of the operation. Have you, First of all, I just want to ask you a simple question. You're the overarching director. How do you, what kind of court software do you use? I mean, that I know 
I'm intrigued because you have so many different divisions. Plus, and, and I'm going to get to this in the future about the event planning and the events that you hold down there. Um, but how do you know which court is available and which court isn't? I mean, what, what kind of software do you have for that? And how does a head pro go and say, hey, I need eight courts tomorrow for my adult programming? Yeah, it's, it's you know, I don't think anything prepares you for that. You know, how do you <laughs> yeah. go from a 12-court indoor club or six-court indoor club or a country club and now how do you manage 100 courts? You know, I think, like I was just saying, there's like four elements to our to our you know, core business there and we have four head pros. When you start to break it out into the family zone, which has the 36-foot courts and uses the blended lines right. on the, the full-size courts, you know, that's a 12 to 20 court operation. Then the adults is 15 to 20 courts on the Hartru. You, you, you have these mini businesses that are kind of being managed at the same time. But, you know, we have a programming team who, you know, let, uh, different to your regular programmer at a club, they spend a lot of time with court management and, and uh, you know, rain is an issue and, and, yeah. and moving courts, you know, the hard courts are wet. We're going to move to the hard true. There's constant court management, the same as any club goes through, but it's at another another level. So we have a dedicated team who who manage everything to do with the back end operations. But the head pros and myself are very involved with what can go where and you know how long are the courts. Same question we all got: When are the courts playable? You know, yep. Mr. Director, when are the courts playable? I've had a play in an hour and. And you manage around all those weather-related no, conditions. No play before nine a.m. Right, the whole. It's a jigsaw puzzle that is never-ending, and, and you you know you're constantly managing it. So it's a it's quite a system. But the the team's been there for the most part for four years. You know, we're, we're a young operation, really. We're only four years old. Right. So you know you're still learning and evolving um, how to manage that best. But back to your original question, what software we use. We were with Tennis Source for years. Um, we transi transitioned to Court Reserve, um, and now we'll be starting to transition into Serve Tennis, um, which is the USTA's, you know, um, version of management or, or software management program that we'll be um, transitioning to shortly. Uh, so it's it's a challenge when you present it to any of them and say, "Hey, most <laughs> of your facilities are ten to twelve courts." Well. We need to be able to manage 100. Can you, right. can you do this and how do you build around that? So, um, yeah, but it's a challenge. I like, enjoy the challenge of trying to, trying to get that system perfected. You know, it's, it's an amazing facility. I've been up there a few times and, and I'm going to – two things. that well, One time I was up there, I, I was there uh, with my daughter playing a tournament. And um, you can just walk in off the street as a USDA member and, and book a court. Now, you have to keep certain courts open for that kind of happening. Um, or is that just not that, does that not happen that frequently? I mean, we booked a court because you wanted to warm up, you know, right. uh, things like that. So does that happen a lot? And you have to, you know, they said go to court 36 on the hard true side, you know, I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, similar to any facility, you know, unless it's a, a private facility and your membership facility, you know, we are a non-member facility. There's no dues attached to, to playing there. Um, so it's very much public and, and if somebody walks in off the street, they could create a profile and mm -hmm. book the court or they can book it online. 
and come and play. So whatever's open can be booked. Uh, you know, with 40% travel business, we get a lot of people who call and say, I'm flying into town tomorrow. I need programming. I need a court. You know, can I rent a racket or demo a racket? What can I get into? So, you know, we deal with a lot of that as well as your pre-planned local customers who book for a session in advance and, and so on. So, um, again, you would think with a hundred courts, you could pretty much walk in any minute, any day and have a court, but same as any facility five till nine at night is prime time. And between right. league matches, programming, tournaments, and so on, you know, sometimes it is a challenge, but there's generally a court open and, and we make it work for, for your everyday customer best we can. Yeah, because uh, what struck me, so the other times I've been up there, um, I've been there with teams. You know, I came up there uh, on my local men's doubles USTA team. Um, but then the, the most the most intriguing time I went up there was for the JTT uh, Nationals, which was a, a really interesting weekend that we spent up there with my team from Massachusetts. One, New England, we came down. And you have a whole team of event planners. So when we... As uh, coaches, we went into a room and there was the head of media PR. There's the head of photographing. There's the right. head of um, the JTT event. Uh, now, what you do as director of rackets, you have to liaise with those people a lot, or is that a separate division? Because it's quite a, it seemed to me like a quite a big division. I mean, a lot of, a lot of manpower there. Yeah, I think within our, our operations unit or team, which was what we'd call kind of the first floor, you know, when you walk into the welcome center, I won't say the brains are in the back because it's not the case at all. And I would never uh, associate that word with myself, but we're, we're in the back office trying to make it all happen. Um, you know, you've got uh, an operations team for programming and head pros and, and, and everything that I oversee. And then you've got an events manager uh, so that involves all types of tournaments um, that involves, um, you know, say corporate or, or traveling um, people or outside vendors who want to host a tournament, um, working with USTA Florida, you know, on, on the events they run throughout the state that are hosted at the campus. So there, there are two separate divisions and they take everything from A to Z to get the event ready. And, and work with whoever's running that tournament, the tournament director or USTA Florida, whoever's involved. And, and they do, yes, take everything to do with that. So we, we work with them. I'll give you an example is if we had, we had an NTRP singles um, uh, regionals or, or event mm -hmm. a couple of months ago, and there was, I think 120 or 200 entries and we'll work with, say, the events team to say who's coming in next year on what weekends. And we know if the tournament starts Friday, they might fly in on Wednesday night, spend Thursday, come and practice on the courts. What can we do to help facilitate a better experience? Let's put a singles, you know, boot camp or singles warm-up day together and a pro will run it and they could sign up for that. And, and those things are very popular because we're servicing their needs of getting somebody to practice with. Right. But it's working with the events team to provide a better experience. So there's a lot of crossover, but they are a separate unit within, within the company. 
I'd like to welcome our first sponsor here at BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, and that's Play by Court, PlayByCourt.com. Choosing the right technology partner is not an easy task. However, staying with the same outdated provider can be a costly decision. And with today's fast-changing environment, well, you need a partner that will help you adapt to the ever-growing needs of your members. At Play by Court, well, they provide the best technology solution customized for your club. With their app, your members can easily manage their profile. They, they can book courts, programs, lessons. They can pay. I asked Andre, show me the payment solutions. It's fantastic. And your members can communicate directly with members and you, the staff. So please go have a look at playbycourt.com and see what really matters most to your members. Your club, your rules, your software. Playbycourt.com. My next question goes to directly what you do. And it, it, it goes to, you have a large staff there. You said you have four head pros and underneath each head pro, you have maybe 10 or 12, 15 junior pros instructors and you bump it up for the summer. How do you go? I, I, I'm assuming it's similar to how you hired at Reading Country Club, your one assistant, maybe your two assistants, but how do you go recruiting for, for a, a, a position that opens up at Lake Nona, um, what's different about it? And how do you, do you have a pipeline? Obviously you mentioned PTM there, it's a pipeline, but is there another sort of pipeline that you guys have found? Um, but how do you go out and find good staff that, that'll stay out hmm. in the heat of Orlando? It's the, the million dollar question we all talk about, isn't it? You know, exactly. How do you find good people and then how do you keep them? Um, look, I think, I think coming from the, the small club industry uh, and being a you know, regular provider and trying to hire and manage people and, and, and sell your club and sell yourself and sell why, why come and work for us. Uh, it's no different here. I think the advantage is there's an attraction to the campus that, that is easier for me to sell than I would have had say at my last facility. You know, the, the natural draw to what the campus is is a real plus for me as an employer to, to attract people, at least an initial attraction. But, you know, I really believe after a certain period of time, after a while, it is a tennis court and you are teaching tennis and it doesn't matter where you are, teaching tennis is teaching tennis. I think who you work for and, and what sort of a team you have and what are they part of is something that I'll sell above and beyond what the facility is. So, um, you know, having a pipeline of people I know in the industry, um, you know, 20, 30 years here helps with knowing enough people to draw some good people, hopefully, if a, if a, a better position opens up. Um, but for, say, a staff pro who's looking to get started or has a couple of years experience, I think we're a great place to come and develop because you can have such a diverse experience. And I have really great leaders with my head pros, you know, I work on the idea that in three to five years, if you're not better than when you started with us, we've failed you. We're not developing you so that you can go out and, and end up at, at my brother's club or a great indoor club somewhere where, where you're going to be a real asset to that facility. I think it's part of our responsibility at the campus to develop pros and have them go out into the industry and be quality deliverers of our sport. Um, we're never going to keep them all. We we all know that you, you keep them for a certain amount of time and then they move on. 
Um, and, and so feeding that pipeline or that funnel of young pros is a real priority. But again, back to the kind of original question about, you know, finding pros, it's the same sort of outlets most people go through. It goes on all the appropriate websites, PTR, PTA, and we go through the process. I think the difference between a smaller club is I've never had an HR department, legal department, and so on who, who assist, but also make hiring more of a process. It's a very thorough process with background checks and, and having to have safe play and, and, and all the things that go into being an employee. So the screening of who you get and how long it takes to hire someone, you know, I could hire someone in 24 hours back, back in the day and sign here and we agree on a rate and you start work tomorrow. That process is much longer. So planning ahead and getting the right people in advance so that I know what's coming and getting them in a timely fashion is something I've had to learn quickly. Um, and with a big staff, there's a lot of turnover. You know, you're going to have a lot who come work for a while and then head off to their next opportunity. Right. So it's a constant revolving door, not in a negative way, but in a way where you're, you, with the bigger the team, you're going to have more turnover. So you're constantly filling positions. So it's a, it's a key part of my role is hiring people. Let me ask you, do you, do you have, uh, management meetings weekly, bi-weekly, and are those meetings one-on-one -on -one with the head pro or the whole department? How do you how do you organize such a big staff like that? What's the meeting structure like? Yeah, great question. I mean, I, I've had to ad adapt my style compared to what I've done in the past. I think with a with a team of ten to twelve pros or six to eight pros, and maybe there's a director and a head pro, but it's one head pro or one assistant director it's a much more intimate uh, relationship. You're able to meet on the fly regularly or have more team meetings more often because you, know, you can take downtime and get together easily as a group. You know, when you've got 30 to 40 people with different schedules, you, it's virtually impossible to have a, uh, a, a regular team meeting because everybody's got different schedules and we've got, especially through COVID. And that's all I've managed through. I started two weeks before lockdown. So <laughs> I've only seen the facility through a COVID experience. Um, so I will tell you virtual meetings, you know, have helped that where I think we would, would have thought we need to do a face-to-face -face conference room meeting. You know, if I've got pros who maybe work a four till nine schedule, whose kids are at home while their wife is at work, they can't do a face-to-face -face meeting, but they've been able to do a virtual meeting, even if it's for 30 minutes. So we didn't think that way before, and now we're much more creative with how we manage our team and our time. But I have regular meetings once a week with my four head pros for about an hour and a half um, every Monday, and it's kind of what's coming up this week, what's coming up this month, what are your needs? You know, it's a constant. You know, my role is to make sure they have what they need to be successful. You know, Simon, we need some pros who are very strong in adults or we need a couple of family zone type pros. We want a couple more female pros. You know, how do we service these head pros so they have the tools they need to be successful? So that's part of our regular meeting. Um, you know, we meet with the associate head pros who are kind of second in command from the, from the head pros. 
we meet, uh, we have trainings once a week within our four areas. Um, so that head pro will run a specific session on each of their areas. And then once a month we have a uh, large team training where, you know, I'll present on general philosophies of teaching or, you know, delve kind of dive into what our business is and what, you know, I'll give you an example. Last week we met on private lesson delivery and said, well, this is what percentage of our business we do in private. It's a very important aspect to our, you know, programming menu. How are we delivering them? How can we do it better? How is the customer experience? So we'll do trainings on that, that are you know, mandatory trainings for everybody who works there. And then the, the challenge is, I'll just finish one more thing. The challenge yeah. for me is I'm used to being able to have one-on-one -on -one connections regularly in a smaller team. That's much harder for me to do. So empowering my head pros and associates to manage their teams and manage their pros and give me feedback and I ask more questions of that and then have little moments with each pro that was a big adjustment you know it's a unique how many of us have ever managed 30 to 40 on a team and work out how to have an impact and a connection with that team so definitely been a learning curve but again something that was part of the the challenge that was exciting for me is here's something I haven't done before how do I manage this? And you'd have to ask them if I'm any good at it because I'm still working on it, but <laughs> we're trying, you know, we're trying to move in a good direction. Hey, to come in a, two weeks before the lockdown and, and keep it all going uh, with 60% of, you know, 40% down because 60% is community-based local yep. is, is quite an achievement right there. You know, I asked your brother this question. This is a question I always ask directors who are, are are great directors and better than I am because I'm always trying to learn something from you guys um but you just said something that was you had to learn how to delegate basically that you like the one-on-one -on -one and, and suddenly you had a team of 60 40 to 60 and you've got to delegate when you're looking at a director of tennis now if you were to go hire a director of tennis as a search committee would mm -hmm. committees do all all year around the, around the, around the nation Sure. What would you think would be the, the top one or two qualities you'd look at? Obviously, delegating be one for you, but what'd be another couple? Yeah, that's a that's a good question too. I think um, I just it's funny. I just had a conversation with a pro who who is a director at a club now, and and he's fighting with the where do I go next? What's next for me? Am I a general manager? Do I go become an owner and this sort of thing? And, and, and I just asked him questions about, well, what are you working on now as a director? You know, is it, is it forehands and backhands and how to teach the perfect lesson and, and come up with a new drill? Or is it, how are you, how are you going about managing people? What are your um, relationship building skills like? You know, your ability to function within a team. Can you get, can you get a team to, to get on the same page and move in a direction that is healthy for the club? So if it was a country club, you know, what's the member experience like? Can I get a pro to understand that, uh, you know, it's not just about the 60 minutes that I delivered on the court and then I pack up my bag and I'm out the door. It's, 
talking to the member, it's connecting with the member, it's talking to the family, where'd you go on vacation? Oh, that's amazing, I've never been there, tell me about it. All those things that go into creating a connection with the customer and making them wanna be a part of your facility, I think those skills are underrated and the great directors out there who are very good at that seem to be the ones who stay in jobs a long time. And I think at some point in your career, you start to get it. And I don't know when that is. At some point it happens and you understand that it's much more than just tennis that you're doing and that it should be a given that you're an excellent teaching pro and you should be able to teach a good lesson. But can you, can you attract people to work for you and can you keep your membership or your customers happy so that you can keep your job long-term and create a healthy environment for your pros and members to play in. I think that's the number one skill that is probably overlooked when a committee's looking for um, a great director and they look at great player, college tennis, was a former pro. And I think we all know that that can help with your delivery, but how many of us in day-to-day tennis are dealing with anyone who's above a 5-0 player? You know, it's what's our typical market and can we service them? And I think understanding that is really important. I think you've seen search committees reach out now and, and, and find consultants and, 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 and management companies who their job is to find someone for them. And I think you're seeing that grow over the last five, 10 years to a point where, you know, maybe we don't have all the answers and we need somebody who understands what we need versus trying to go and find it ourselves. And if you can find the right director for 10, 15, 20 years, it's worth the investment to go and find the right person. So I would put that at the top of the list and say that good teaching skills should be a given if you're looking for that position. And how are they with people? Can they, can they retain staff and can they maintain relationships with the customers? Great, great answer to the, 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 the question, which was really behind why I started this business, because I had noted, as you just said, search committees sometimes overlook the, and it's funny, you ask when in my career, when in your career, did we figure out that the secret was how you deal with people? And right. I, it came to me when my knees started to crack. Um, yeah, you, know, right. you can't physically be out there. 10 hours a day as you get older and you realize what makes you special in this business is, is your, is your administrative and uh, relationships with people, whether it be staff or members. Yeah. And I think unfortunately the pathway for a pro is, is maybe a little too simple that you're a teaching pro, then you become a director or maybe you're a head pro, then a director. And if you're in this industry for 40 years, that's not a lot of progression through a pathway. So you know, you're, you're searching for opportunities to grow all the time. And, 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 and it's, can you grow in terms of this aspect of your, of your business delivery and become really successful as a result of these relationships? And I think, yeah, we go through these phases where I'm a teaching pro and I'm all about drills and forehands and backhands and getting a ladies team to win the, 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 sectionals, regionals, nationals, and that's a big deal. And that's great. But then what's the next phase of your career? And just because you're a good teacher doesn't mean you're going to be a good leader. And are you developing skills along the way 
And more importantly, is your director giving you the opportunity to develop those skills so that are you ready for an opportunity when it pops up? And that's something I've always put an emphasis on with whoever works for me is am I investing in you so that, like I said earlier, are you better when you leave me and more valuable to the industry? And if not, then we're failing that next wave of pros because we're all getting old, Ed, as you say, and one day one day we're out and is the next wave healthy that's continuing to, to drive the industry. Hey, you know, you were uh, you're at a, at a facility that is 60% community-based, 40% travel, yep. and travel is starting to come back. Uh, all those people around the country that took up tennis, the, the new 22% uh, figure that everyone's talking about, how do you foresee keeping all these players, um, you know, that ventured onto the courts last year during COVID because it was a, a COVID-friendly sport? Um, even though they're still making us wear masks up in New England, I hear for doubles right. outdoors. Um, but how, how are you foreseeing you at the USTA national campus and us as an industry, keeping those people motivated and playing our sport? It's funny, isn't it? When we were, when we we're all closed last March, April, May or whatever, everyone was slightly different, but you know, we opened again in June last year and we spent three months trying to work out what, what are we going to be when we reopen? What do we look like? How do we manage with protocols? And is that going to be good for our business? Is it going to hurt our business? And we quickly came to this realization that we were going to get an injection of people. Um, and then after we saw that 20 to 22% injection kind of countrywide, the next question became, how do we retain them? And that was the, the, common term that everyone who was talking was saying all right we've got all these new people how do we keep them in the industry and we've talked about that a lot and we've talked about it internally and said I don't think there's a secret formula I think it's the same principles we had before that I would have used at any of the clubs that that I managed in the past was is our product good so is our on-court delivery excellent so that when they come their experience makes them want to come back that's no different to what we would have said or asked of our team in the past. Um, I think does our does our pathway or does our product connect them to the facility? So are they coming once a week for a lesson? And I I hate that our I don't like the word lesson. Uh, there's not many other sports that people play where they take lots of lessons. You know, you play tennis. You know, and too many people say I take lessons. You know. I love hearing people say, I play tennis. Um, but, it, you know, we need lessons to get our 40 hours a week on the court and pay the bills and so on. So it's catch 22. But my point is, are we teaching them tennis and then getting them into uh, programs that enable them to connect to the facility? So it's got to be more than just lessons. You know, it's uh, you're starting with me in our, you know, entry level or beginner program. And then the next step for you is that we have this match play or, or social event that connects them to the facility. Now they're coming twice a week and we know if people come twice a week, they connect to the sport versus once a week, they drop out within a year or two. So have I connected them to the facility and shown them that 
it's not about a pro telling me how to hit the ball. It's I needed some help to get started. Now I can play. Even if I'm a weak player, I can still play and I'm making friends and this makes me want to continue in the sport or else we will lose a lot of those people. And I think they're all things that we should have all been doing prior to the COVID. COVID anyway. And then if you weren't, you should have used COVID to look at your delivery and say, here's the holes in our delivery. And if we're going to keep people, we need this to be successful. So we kind of work on a practice and play mentality. So you come for your practice or lessons, or clinics, and then what's your play opportunity? If we can get them to play more, they'll probably take more lessons anyway because they want to get better. Mm -hmm. But we need both in order to get people to stay. So I think what we're starting to hear now throughout the country is the clubs who have done this well are keeping that 20%. The clubs yep. who haven't connected people got an initial surge and now those people might start to drop off as the country opens up and they get a chance to go back to things that they couldn't do before. So I, I think it comes down to those things versus we're doing anything special to keep them. I don't think it's anything special, but I think if you do those things well, then you could say you have a special program and they'll stay anyway. I do think we're going to lose some of that 20% naturally because they've got more choices, but can we keep a good percentage of them and build off them and get their friends to come? But maybe instead of two or three times a week, like we saw during the last 12 months, they come once or twice a week. So they keep tennis in the mix. Have we done enough to keep tennis in their life beyond, you know, post pandemic can they still stay with tennis so i i think i really feel that's that's what it's all about and that should be what we're all doing anyway it's funny you say or not funny it's interesting you say uh they they come two to three times a week and they meet new friends and that's what pickleball is all about mm -hmm. it's very social and now i hear that you up there are starting uh, a pickleball and and did i also understand padel up there at the uh, at the national campus so maybe there's a way we can learn from pickleball uh, as a tennis as a tennis uh facility as a tennis industry and watch how social pickleball is so tell take us through the pickleball offerings there's going to be up there in orlando at lake nona yeah it's an interesting transition we're going through you know we've just put the courts down and uh so we're gonna have four um purpose-built pickle courts to start with and then uh, four Padel courts. So, you know, if you don't know Padel, it's kind of similar to what the Northeast would call paddle tennis or platform tennis um, in terms of playing off, off the walls or the fences. Um, so there's some similarities there, but um, it's a huge sport in, in Europe, um, particularly in Spain. It's one of the fastest growing racket sports in the world, but just not as big in America. Um, but it's starting to pop up more and more within the States. Um, I think that, you know, you, you're really looking at, it's kind of that complementary racket sports concept. You know, my last club, we had four indoor basketball courts, uh, but they were on a hard court surface and they used to be tennis courts years ago and it became a multi-sport court. 
and we, we put down permanent pickleball lines and got into pickle now, what's that, six and a half years ago. It was kind of, pickle was big, but it wasn't, I don't think it was, hadn't evolved into a programming sport yet. It was much more big on a playing level and you saw US Open sells out in 48 hours and gets 2,000 people. And and I, I saw something there and said, you know, there's something there for this. If you like a ball going back and forth, like I do, you'll play anything that goes back and forth, whether it's <laughs> ping pong, uh, racquetball, off the walls, it's squash, paddle, it's squash, it's it's tennis, it's anything that the ball goes back and forth, we enjoy it. So we started with pickle there, and it, you know, I remember running small tournaments, and we had 84 spots, and it sold out in two or three days. And I said, wow, there's something here. But I think part of the success of that sport is that it's a play-based sport. It's not a lesson-based sport. You can play it quickly. We all know why it's successful because you can play it within 10 minutes. If you've got a little hand-eye coordination, you can start knocking the ball back and forth and have fun with it. Um, But it is very social and the culture of the sport is very inclusive. And I think they're real selling points of the sport. And now you're starting to see your certifications taken off. You're seeing a lot of tennis pros transition into director of racket sports. Five years ago, every job was director of tennis. Now it's director of racket sports. And if you don't have paddle or platform, you know, you struggle to get a country club job in the Northeast. If you don't have, uh, pickle and tennis you you struggle to get jobs at some southern country clubs and so on as well it's it's a different market and you have to be prepared to embrace those other sports and I, I don't see it as a threat I see it as a compliment and we're using it as a possibility to do a lot of crossover events and with okay. three racket sports now at the campus you know we're talking about kind of that triathlon tennis pickle padel event where it's come for the morning we're going to do three separate sports and let's get padel players to cross over into tennis pickle players to cross over into tennis and if it keeps people coming to your facility more often especially at a membership or dues-based facility that's a good thing and we don't want to lose them from tennis but if they come twice a week for tennis can they also try another racket sport that is a good use of our space on the property. Um, and, you know, speaking from a you know, small club operation or country club operation, does it keep some of your aging members uh, on a court who maybe would consider dropping their membership, but you're seeing, you're seeing a lot of young people who are good at tennis transition into playing competitive pickleball. And it's, very dynamic and fast with that dynamic fast tennis player you're seeing you know high level pickle start to become a big part of the country's um you know kind of pickleball professional uh, playing um you know playing uh schedule there's this more and more tournaments and it's 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 interesting to see how it's evolving and if you can do it at your club, I think it's a good complimentary racket sport. So we're going to use it as a, you know, kind of model of delivery to say, look, this is 
what it's done at the campus. We put in four courts, it's done this. And if we can sell that story to a tennis club owner, manager, director, and say, it's worth considering, you know, we're not, we're not revolutionary with it. It's out there already. We're not inventing something new, but we're saying, hey, it's here and it's gone from nothing to this. And we've seen tennis players grow as a result as well. This is something worth considering. And I think that's part of what being, being the campus can be. It's kind of a research and development facility as well for the industry. Well, I'm glad you're at the head of it because you're a wonderful director. Thank you so much for your time, Simon. It's been great having you. All your views are so sound and, and researched and knowledgeable, knowledgeable, and uh, you, you're you're doing a great job up there in uh, Lake Nona. And, and hopefully I'll get to stop by with my JT team this summer, or maybe next fall, if we win. But if not, I'll stop by anyhow and just poke my head in and say hello. But great yeah, to have you on the do. podcast. We love, uh, we love having having that traffic and we've missed it for 12 months. So uh, hopefully we'll cross paths soon and all the best with your uh, summer up there in the Northeast. And thanks well, so thank much for so having much. me, Ed. You're welcome and thank you. Take care. Great day. Thank you so much for listening this week. We really appreciate it. I just want to let everyone know that our introductory music is by Ed Shanafee Sr. and his amazing trio. And All the Chapter Breaks is original music by my daughter, Olivia Shanafee. We hope to hear more from them as we continue this podcast through 2021, and we hope to see more of you as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at BeyondTheBaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.BeyondTheBaselines.com which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.